Welcome to another episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Today, we're talking about DNA spaces and indoor IoT services with Cisco expert, Daryl Sladen, and Cisco Champion hosts, Denise Donahue and Shai Silberman. Okay, Daryl, can you introduce yourself and your role at Cisco? Thanks, Amy Lee. My name is Daryl Sladen. <laughs> I'm a senior product manager at Cisco. Focusing on DNA spaces. I'm a longtime Cisco employee, been a product manager for many different products, and I'm happy to be focusing right now on Cisco DNA spaces. Awesome. And do you have a Twitter handle? I do, Daryl SJ. Check it out. Awesome. All right. Next up, Denise. Word on the streets is that you're a 12 time Cisco press author. When you're not busy writing books, what is your focus at Cisco? <laughs> Hi, I am a short-time Cisco employee in contrast to Daryl. I've only been there less than, well, a little over a year. Um, and I'm a uh, systems architect for um, in the mid-Atlantic uh, state and local government area. And my Twitter handle is uh, Lady Networker. And oh, Networker I love it. Is spelled weird. <laughs> it's Lady N-E-T-W-K-R. Awesome. All right. Now, Shai, who are you and what do you do? Thank you, Amy. Uh, my name is Shai Silverman. I'm the Director of Network Services for San Jose State University in uh, downtown San Jose. Uh, and uh, I'm not like a Cisco employee or an ex-Cisco employee. Uh, and uh, my Twitter handle is Shai, D-O-M, so S-H-A-I-D-O-M. And lastly, I'm Amy Lee San Juan, Amy Lee San Juan on Twitter, and I'm on the Cisco product marketing team. Uh, but before we get started, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Cisco champion Bruno Woolman. Uh, Bruno has uh, had every intention on co-hosting today's session, but just welcomed his son, Henry Bruno Woolman, into the world. So he's actually at home enjoying his new addition. So congratulations to the Woolman family, and thank you for our future Cisco champion in the making. Yay, Bruno. Yay, Henry. <laughs> All right, Daryl. Uh, can you set us up? What's our goal here? What are we talking about? Uh, uh, thanks, Emily. So today what we wanted to talk about is Cisco DNA spaces and IoT services. Really, we wanted to unleash and sort of uncrack what is IoT services? What can it be used for? Um, what's changed today so it can it's a more relevant topic than it maybe was in the past? First of all, one of the things that we've been focusing on has been our cloud-first solution. So DNA Spaces is a cloud-first solution. And that's very different to some of the historical location-based services that maybe involve some of Cisco's older technologies, such as our mobility services engine or, or our connected mobile experience engine, both on-prem engines that, great, that were great um, services for an on-prem world, right? So if I wanted to maintain all of my location calculations and mathematics on a server that was owned by the company, that was a great solution. But as we've evolved into a cloud-connected world, there's so much more that can be done by being able to say, no, I'm going to connect my network into the cloud, move the workload of calculating where devices are, and the aggregation of all that location data into a cloud service, and then start to consume it in a much more broad manner. That's really the heart of DNA spaces. All right, great. Shai. I hear you have our first question of the day. Sure. So, Dennis, uh, I see a lot going on in the whole market space with location-based services. And I also see like two terms which uh, seem to be somewhat confused. Perhaps you can help kind of uh, delineate between them. Uh, but uh, 
How do you explain the differences between location-based services as LBS versus the real-time location services, also known as RTLS? So I think you're talking to Daryl, not Denny. <laughs> but uh, um, I'll absolutely jump fight in over it. <laughs> no, let's fight over this one today. <laughs> uh, it's all D's today, Denny's and Daryl. Yes. Uh, but so, so uh, again, it's all about words. So location-based services, LBS or RTLS. Who wins out? Well, I really don't think that's all that important. There's a lot of different vernaculars and, and wording used to describe whether this is a location-based services or a real-time location service. But what I think is really important is how the end customer takes advantage of this. The traditional, most probably the oldest, well-defined location-based service or RTS service had been, hey, I need to find something that I've lost. Right. And the persons who spend the most time finding things that are really expensive paid were nurses in hospitals. Nurses in hospitals needed to find uh, things like IV carts or wheelchairs. And it's really expensive to pay a nurse to walk around for 20 minutes to go find something. So that was a really high return on investment by providing a location based services. So whether it was real time location based services because she needed to know where the chair was today or a historical location-based services, how many chairs do we use overall in an analytic? It's less important uh, than the real use case that they're, they're looking at, which is making sure people don't lose things and or spend as little time as possible finding things. Thank you, awesome. Daryl. <laughs> and I do have a question too, unless you have a follow-up, Shai? Nope. Oh, okay. All right, so you've talked about... In the lead up, you talked about DNA spaces, you talked about um, indoor IoT services. Um, so what do, you talk, what do you mean with this IoT services? Is this just something else that we're doing over Wi-Fi? Well, that's one of the real differences that we're doing today, is we're starting to enable that wonderful Wi-Fi 6 AP and the new radios that are involved there. So uh, Cisco offers the new 9120, 9130 sort of line as part of our whole Catalyst 9000 series. And in all of those, you would have seen, you know, an, an embedded IoT radio. So the hardware-wise, this is an 802.15.4 radio that allows the ability for the APs to scan the air and hear radio signals outside of Wi-Fi. So it's got its great 2.4 gigahertz and its great 5 gigahertz radios for serving clients but it also has this IoT radio. And one of the things we're continuing to expand with DNA Spaces is the ability to take, have access to that IoT radio. And so that IoT radio can speak things like Zigbee or BLE or Thread and some of these other protocols. But the, overall, the, the umbrella of services that you can start to take advantage of when you start to use this additional hardware is, is um, the base of IoT services. So it's IoT services using radios other than just your Wi-Fi radio. So, Daryl, uh, so with all these radios uh, and DNA spaces for indoor, what's the different level of accuracy of location you can have with Wi-Fi versus BLE versus Zigbee? So a, that's a great question. One of the, one of the things is um, there's purely mathematics, and I'm a math, uh, mathematician myself, you know, Waterloo, go, <laughs> go Warriors. Uh, but, uh, but uh, and so it's always really important to understand the, the mathematics of tri a trilateration that says, given three points in time, how do I do a least squared determination to find its location? The, the thing that you use there to determine the location is how loud or how quietly I hear an individual point, right? I use that to estimate a length. From that length, I then do a least squared error and come up with a location. 
that location is really dependent on a couple of things, which is um, good placement of the APs in your network to say that when I say good, meaning if I say an AP is at a specific location, it really is at that location and that there is um, no uh, what we call the occlusion. So there's no giant glass walls between your AP and your end devices. So in an, in an area that you have no material occlusions and a good coverage with four different APs, you're going to get down to location accuracy of about three meters. So plus or minus three meters. Um, generally in our data sheets, we kind of be a little bit more conservative just because we like to <laughs> make sure that uh, you cover lots of spaces, but you'll be about three meter location accuracy. That accuracy is about the same, whether it's going to be a 2.4 gigahertz wireless signal or a five gigahertz wireless signal or a 2.4 gigahertz BLE signal. So about that three meter location accuracy is kind of what you what you can expect. But more importantly, what we find is there's a lot of good use cases that you can come down to being able to know, oh, this device is somewhere within three meters of me. There's a lot of really good uh, capabilities you can take advantage of from those, that accuracy. Which leads me to think you can do this not just with devices, but with human beings especially as now we're looking at looking at the post-COVID world or the moving into post-COVID world, um, tracking people track, you know, by their cell phones or whatever, RTLS badges, whatever, to see numbers of people who are in a, a space. I know three meters is not six feet, but, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I don't like to use the word tracking. <laughs> we like to always that's provide. Kind of value loaded. That's true. Because <laughs> exactly, there's a lot of there's a lot of value loading in the in particular words like, oh, are they tracking me? But providing that location service to a person like you know Shy, who owns well, not owns, but uh, unless you unless you inherited San Jose State University, Shy, you might own. A not quite. <laughs> not quite. But you are responsible for a lot of spaces that are covered by wireless, right? And what tool can I give Shy to be able to say, hey, I'd love to know how many people are in the Silverman Sports Center right now, right? Or um, or other particular fields, right? Because then I could have a density trigger saying, you know what? I only want, I know my my um, my normal occupancy of that building is 100, but in this post-COVID world, maybe I only want 40 people in that space. Can I create uh, what we call a density trigger and a count of the number of people by using that um, proxy of most people in San Jose State University have a device that's connected to this wireless. So I will certainly attest that he has thousands and thousands of devices on wireless um, and use that count as a way of indicating how many people are in there. So that's one example of how you can um, use the your wireless networks to, to better um, adapt your space post-COVID. What do you think now, about some of those use cases, Shai, or? Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the other use cases I think would be kind of interesting is if, for example, we knew that uh, we have someone who may have been infected and trying to understand who was in close enough proximity to them that should be either quarantined or tested or warned regarding potential exposure. Yeah, that's another application that we're looking at providing. Um, we, we again, don't like to use the term contact tracing because that really has a very specific CDC guideline rule that says, you know, more than 10 minutes within uh, um, six feet. And that's actually best done with what we find is manual discussions and interviews with the person. That's always been, you know, back from, um, you know, when it, contact tracing was first started, that was the way they did it, little sheets of paper that would write down who you contacted with. But technology can always help and make these better. And having that interview with that person where you can do things like, 
hey, don't you remember you were on Building 14 on the second floor? Oh, yeah, I forgot I had that interview. Because when you have to do this content, this proximity reporting, you got to go back to like two weeks and remember all the places that you've been at. And that's often pretty hard for a person. So having a tool that we can give it to, to Shai to be able to say, oh, this is where the device was on premise. And the other part of that is because we are, we know who was there, we could tell you, oh, these are other people that were in the same building or the same floor or the same zone at the same time or in close proximity to time. So that allows you to be able to say, you know what? A hundred people were in that same floor at the same time as the person who self-reported yeah, maybe we better start figuring out who we should need to talk to. This seems like has some uh, privacy implications. Uh, absolutely. It's important that this is always done in a privacy-centric way, meaning um, the, the reason for this is um, is either a healthcare-specific reason. So in our certainly tool set, it's, a, it's something that is done role-based access control by an administrator who is, um, who is a responsible member of the wireless team in that case. Um, and the individual's as they join Wi-Fi, that's they that's their opt into the method, right? So if they choose not to join Wi-Fi, they're not going to be, um, they're not going to have location services provided. So it really is something that they can that the individual can control as to whether or not they're they're involved in this group. And then the the uh, ability to extract this information is only provided to that administrator. And you were saying this is a cloud-based solution, managed, uh, that- monitored. Yeah, that's in the cloud. Yeah, that's correct. Similar to you know WebEx or Duo or Umbrella, some you know Cisco has been really focused on providing these great cloud-first services, and this is one of them that takes advantage of that same infrastructure of really strong um, cloud-based applications that we have. I think that's one of the um, you know one of the strengths of Cisco is that we get to you know as I deliver a cloud service, I get to take advantage of all the learnings that WebEx and Duo and Umbrella. <laughs> and Talos, all of our other cloud services, and we kind of use the best of breed. So we all kind of show, oh, this is the right way of doing a cloud services at, at scale. And so it's really effective to take advantage of that. Daryl, what are some devices that uh, you, you anticipate seeing and working with the indoor IoT? Well, one of the real exciting new types of devices that we're really, that we're, we're focusing on is BLE devices. So Bluetooth low energy had always traditionally been used for consumer devices, you know, the, the headphones that, that connect to your iPod in order to, to have that great stereo sound. But one of the advantages of the of consumerization of these devices is the billions of billions of chips that are created. So because there's a billion wire, uh, Bluetooth devices created every year, the chipsets are really, really cheap. <laughs> so quite honestly, it's purely a financial thing. So once we are in the realm of billions of devices that are really cheap to create, you can start to have other uses. So I can thinking of proxy, things such as uh, uh, determination of temperature. So think of it throwing like a temperature monitor in every single room. So instead of having the, your one Nest thermostat in a consumer or your one industrial thermostat in a building, you could put a, you could put a thermostat in every single room in every single building because these are going to be small, lightweight BLE devices that would be able to blanket and figure out, oh, for some reason, this, you know, this room always gets cold, right? It was always, it used to always be that, um, you know, people always report they're cold in this room and you crank the whole temperature of the whole building just for that one room. Now you're going to be able to put temperature monitors in every room. You could have um, CO2, monitor, CO2 monitors is one that I've been interesting in. So people are much happier if they have 
you know, high degrees of oxygen and not too much CO2 in the air. So imagine a really... I like oxygen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a really good, <laughs> really, a really good uh, air quality monitor. So be uh, Bluetooth-based air quality monitors throughout an entire physical space. Um, asset tags, temperature tags, lots of, uh, lots of different types of tags. And the whole point is now I can have tens of thousands of those in my device, in my space, because they are so cheap. Do you foresee RTL tags being used, for example, with uh, uh, in K through 12 uh, to keep track of uh, of miners, for example, making sure that they don't wander where they're not supposed to be or didn't wander off campus, for example? Well, I, I think that there's lots of possibilities of people using it. I've actually seen, I, I know of a, de a deployment in um, in Oakland where they have the vests, so the students don't have them etched to themselves, but all the students are wearing uh, are wear these uh, wear these vests. And the vests have a little uh, tag on them, and each of the tags have a little BLE tracker inside of it, so that the so that the 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 the, the teachers kind of be, are able to, to to effectively know where's where all the vests are, not necessarily the people, but it's a really good proxy for them. And I think that there's a lot of possibilities that, that if this can be done cost effectively and at scale, so it's no longer this you know big giant project, but it's like oh yeah, I want to throw another hundred tags in and. And you can do that with your existing wireless network. I think you'll see a lot more utilization of this. So uh, I guess to build on what you just said, uh, assuming right now I have just a Wi-Fi network, what are some of the advantages I would see by integrating BLE into it besides just uh, cheaper devices because of the cost of the chipset? Well, first of all, the, the other the other thing that BLE devices allow you to do, especially with our new Wi-Fi 6 APs, is a two-way connection to a BLE, a low-powered BLE device. So imagine a device that's going to sit there as a temperature monitor that runs for two years, but I needed a firmware upgrade. Well, dang, now I got to go all the way around. It's the same thing as I probably had to do if I had the traditional RFID tags. I'd have to go around and connect to each one of them and do the firmware upgrade or do some type of a of a, of a network update. One of the real benefits of the new Wi-Fi 6 APs with their BLE capabilities, we could do a two-way connection to that BLE device. So imagine we could do a two-way connection, update the firmware, maybe change its parameters to say, you know what, um, we have a shutdown for the next two months. Don't don't beacon out for the next for until I connect to you again. So we can actually turn that off to be able to extend its battery life. A lot of um, uh, really interesting use cases come into the fact that I could do this two-way connection. One interesting one I heard of in a lost and found scenario is that um, when the network detects that some particular tag is lost, I could do a two-way connection and make that tag beep or, or, or light up, right? So if I'm just listening to their tags, I'm not going to be able to do that. But now that I've got these two-way connections to really inexpensive BLE tags, I could actually make it beep and light up and you know, have a lot less chance that it's going to be lost. So who's going to monitor this? Who's going to manage that? And where is it going to be managed? Are we talking about through the wireless controller? Or are we talking about through the a cloud portal? So one of the one of the real benefits that we um, look at is as a cloud service, Cisco is going to take that first level responsibility to make sure all the wiring and all the 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 piping is going is up and running, right? So that's you know the same way that you don't have to worry about is my WebEx servers running because. It's Cisco's WebEx servers. We're going to be monitoring and maintaining that uh, first line support. But the second two components that are really important is the people who are really expert on IoT devices are going to be the wireless team at, at companies because 
they're the ones that have been used to lots and lots of disparate events. They understand what 2.4 is. Shai is, has a great deal of knowledge in wireless, and that's going to be immediately transform, uh, transferable into these IoT devices because they're also wireless devices. But really important, the way we've built it is an app store so that it's not going to be Shai, it's going to be responsible. There could be a uh, a, a group in in in, uh, in a university, for example, that's just responsible for air quality. They could run their own application on top of his infrastructure, and so they would log on to their own air quality monitoring system. They would put these BLE air quality tags in. The system would be monitored, but that group who is responsible for air quality, they don't have to know. Oh, you know, we have a. 2.4 gigahertz tag that's losing battery in some particular portion. That's monitored by the infrastructure team. The end application is monitored by the pre-spoon who really needs it, which is the air quality team. So they're going to have to actually coordinate. Well, we want to we're really breaking making down it, of silos, maybe, huh? Exactly. It'll record, but but really making it so that we're we're allowing them to not have to step over each other because in the older solutions where you didn't have it. Every team would build, yeah, I got to do my own, my own sort of network. So I'm going to go put in all these tags and my own repeaters and my own uh, infrastructure for each individual bespoke use case. Now you put in this one network and then the air quality team can say, yeah, I want to run an application. The uh, asset tracking team can run an application. The guys who are responsible for uh, making sure the keys aren't lost, put a tag on every key, right? They can each run their own applications on top of, a really good infrastructure. Yeah, I just had a flash of a picture of a hospital ceiling where you have, you know, <laughs> vendor X access point next to a different vendor Y access point next to, and then down the hall is another one because there's all they all are doing different applications. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dennis. D Denise, that's that's what we're trying to consolidate. <laughs> Sorry, all these D words. Uh, we're consolidating all of those different listeners into a single Wi-Fi six AP. I think so that's going to be one of the real benefits. Maybe a you know, maybe we're making the world a little prettier by having fewer things in your ceiling. But creating a unified fabric. <laughs> yeah, that that that's that's really the the thing. It's a unified so that you're not having all these bespoke connections inside of your network. You could probably you could absolutely do this by putting a uh, connector for your uh, air quality monitoring system and your asset tracking system and your lost kids system and your <laughs> but. You know, it'd be but having a, uh, a consolidated fabric to do it is going to be a much more effective solution. Now, Daryl, uh, with the introduction of CBRS, uh, the three point five gigahertz band, uh, how is that going to play into the indoor IoT and DNA spaces? So, citizens band radio is uh, again something that Cisco's investigating. Cisco always likes to 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 understand how we're going to use new physical layer radios and new new spectrum, so that. You know, 6E has got a wholly new spectrum, that, that 3.5 gigahertz spectrum. But one of the real benefits is that we've built DNA spaces such that it can absorb data from different types of radios. So whether this be a 3.5 gigahertz CBRS radio based off a new AP or the traditional 2.4 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz wireless or BLE, it's going to be very easy to be able to plug that in. So that's one. That's kind of how we're looking at it, is that it's a new physical wireless spectrum, but the infrastructure that you put on top of this should be the same, and that's really where we, where we play in DNA spaces. Is there a gap in abilities between the Meraki access points versus the Cisco Enterprise access points with regards to DNA spaces and IoT? 
Well, there's there's always going to be different um, uh, capabilities depending on the particular piece of hardware, right? Some hardware has two-way interconnected radios. Um, you know, the 9130's got an M-gig interface and, uh, and you know, five different radios. So inside of the Meraki um, access points, we definitely have all the same scanning capabilities. We may not have all the same ability to, to connect to, to end devices immediately, but we but it def, but we have what we call our base capabilities. And our base capabilities are consistent across Meraki and Cisco for their ability to detect BLE devices. And be managed by the same management platform, because you've got the Meraki management platform. Correct. One of the things that we talk, that we really like with DNA Spaces is that we can onboard Meraki network as well as Catalyst network to the same um, to the same dashboard. So in DNA Spaces, we treat you know uh, both brothers equally, <laughs> right? So we have whether it's your it's your Meraki APs or your DNA Spaces APs, you can see them both in the in the same in the same network. You know, for, for things like a, a consistent captive portal, right? One of the things DNA Spaces provides is, hey, I want to be able to join my wireless network. And whether it's uh, a Meraki network, which is which I do in my remote sites because I'm, you know, I have less IT infrastructure. So I put Meraki at my remote sites and I have one type of captive portal or my headquarters. I can have that same captive portal across both of them. If I want to count devices, whether I'm counting them, uh, the number of associated devices for my density monitoring, it doesn't really matter whether those devices are counted against Cisco AP or Catalyst APs or Meraki APs. Both of them can provide it to that same dashboard. Well, that's going to be a huge advantage. Yeah, we definitely uh, like to bring both of them together. All right. Great conversation. Thank you. Do, do... <laughs> I had another question for you, Daryl. Sure. I'm trying to just formulate it uh, <laughs> properly. Oh, okay. so here's a question. Uh, so with DNA spaces, do I still need to run CMX? Oh, uh, that, that's a that's a great question. So our connected mobile experiences was the uh, a, a sort of a uh, booster rocket to our <laughs> Falcon Heavy, right? You know how you sometimes shed those booster rockets as the as the space shuttle went off, and they still have that center core rocket. I think Is that like the Acme rockets that Roadrunner was using. <laughs> well, well, I'd like to go more the space shuttle than my Acme rockets, but I'm, but I'm still big, big, uh, big rocket fan. So it was effectively a good booster rocket. So it got us to so that we really understand location services, but eventually can be jettisoned away. So you don't need to be running CMX. Um, we still can uh, receive data from our on-prem CMX calculation engine, but what we really find to be valuable is you kind of untether from that. So a CMX calculation engine was 64 gigs, 20 vCPUs, one terabyte hard drive, constantly calculating a lot of really heavy math on-prem, consuming about 800 watts of power. Like, well, you know what we could do instead? We can give you a two CPU device that consumes 30 watts of power and all it does is it sends the data to the cloud and then our cloud infrastructure where we pay for everything and we've got giant <laughs> servers and computes and we got to have the giant uh, 800 kilowatt cooling supply, then we calculate the location for you. And that's really the, the, the evolution of CMX is that CMX has been the great on-prem engine, but if you want to be able to move that to a cloud service, that, that's what you're going to be able to take advantage of with DNA spaces. Is it possible to consume some of the location data into DNA Center? Yeah, that's also another uh, a great connection. So once we've once we've got this location data into DNA Spaces, 
one of our many consumers of this location is all of these different partner applications, whether they be uh, Stanley Aeroscout or IBM Tririga. But of course, we're always uh, one of our tight integrations is with our own Cisco DNA Center and our own partner on our own application. So Cisco DNA Center creates a connection to our cloud, similar to the way DNA Center talks to what we call the, the Kairos cloud for connecting artificial intelligence for um, for anomaly detection, it's going to connect to the DNA spaces cloud to say, hey, where is Shai's device when I want to render it on a map? And we'll be able to have that connection back and forth. All right. Any, any last thoughts? Any last questions? I think we covered a lot. No, we did. This has been <laughs> yeah. a very informative episode. All right. So I want to thank all of you for joining us today. A special thank you to Daryl for sharing your insights and to Denise and Shai for hosting today's session. Uh, be sure to look out for this episode and other episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts, including SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, TalkShoe, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. This is Amy Lee San Juan signing off. Until next time, my friends. <laughs>